Good morning. I'm Ben Boyd. Today we will be reading uh, from Acts 10, 34 through 43, which can be found on page 919 in your pew Bible. Page 919, Acts 10, 34 through 43. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one anointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome again. Uh, I didn't introduce myself. I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors. If we haven't met, um, I really am thankful that you're here. I want to pray for us in a moment, but um, let me just say, kids, I'm really thankful that you guys are in the room. I love hearing you sing, and I love that you get to pray with us. Um, If your parents get a little bit wiggly and you need some space for them, there's that overflow room down the hallway as well as the parlor back here where the service is being broadcast, and there's some activity packets back there. There's also more activity packets in the back of the room for anybody who needs those. And we have a artwork for fruit snacks exchange program here at Hope Community Church. So kids in your packet, there's some places where you can draw, where you can take some notes. If you'll give that to the person who will be outside these doors by the fruit snacks, they'll take your artwork and they'll give you some fruit snacks. It's a pretty, pretty amazing deal. So thankful that you're in the room. Um, this morning, I, I hope actually to be a little bit shorter than normal, not to undersell the value of the resurrection, but, but simply to say it's pretty clear and beautiful. I don't know if we need to dress it up a whole lot. So even talk of like this being the Super Bowl of Sundays, I mean, in some ways, all we're doing is saying what's most important and most beautiful, what's actually most obvious from the text. It really is the simplest, plainest, most profound thing to our faith. And so my desire is to actually move relatively quickly through this text and just call you to see and to believe what the realities are of the resurrection for your everyday life. Because this is a special day, but uh, if the resurrection doesn't matter for tomorrow, then, then I think we've come up short. So I want to like string out a little bit what the resurrection is for you as a welcome from God for the regular places where, where you live your life. So let me just pray for us towards that end, and then we'll dive into this passage. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Thanks for your sacrificial death, uh, for the way you expressed your love through taking our place on the cross. Thanks for showing your power and your resurrection. Father, thanks for keeping your promise to come and rescue a people. You made promises millennium ago to your people, and and you kept them in Christ. 
the one who would come and take our place. Thank you that you are faithful and good. Holy Spirit, thank you for drawing us. Thank you for helping us believe. Thanks for walking with us as we struggle to believe. We welcome your work, Holy Spirit, this morning as we think about the realities of what it means that God himself stood in our place, took the punishment for our sin, rose powerfully, and makes salvation available to all who will believe. So Holy Spirit, would you do work in our hearts? And I would guess there's lots of different kinds of places our hearts are at this morning. You know them all perfectly, so would you give us what we need in your powerful holy name. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, so my goal really is to like help think through like what is accomplished at the resurrection. And what I want to do is just kind of survey real quickly like what the Bible says about the resurrection. And then we're going to zoom into this one sermon that Peter gives. Essentially, I'll just plagiarize Peter's sermon this morning. But as I do that, I want you to think not in terms of somebody who is an onlooker analyzing the resurrection. I want you to think about one who actually needs the resurrection. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer talks about the difference between someone watching and somebody participating. And he imagines us kind of maybe in a European town, like a through-hiking town where there's a trail that would go many, many miles, and maybe there's bed and breakfast to kind of back up to that trail. And he says there's a difference between somebody sitting with their morning coffee on the balcony watching travelers go down the trail versus those who have packs on, who have been going many miles and will continue to go many, many more miles. He calls them balconeers and travelers. And he says they ask a very different set of questions. A balconeer looks over the trail and wants to analyze it, has theoretical questions about the nature of the trail, where the trail might be going, what might be difficult about the trail, could even be critical of of the travelers and could make fun there or could comment on the way they're going. But a traveler asks a different kind of question. There's some theoretical things for sure, but they're more asking, how do I get through this? Where, Where is this trail actually taking me? How do I participate with this? And he stretches that illustration a little bit more, and he says, imagine I'm kind of looking at God that way. One from a balcony kind of analyzing God, and the other one is somebody who knows they need God. Somebody who is kind of sitting over in this critiquing seat versus one who's on a trail desperately needing to know that there's help on that trail. And of course, the illustration is about our lives. But he, but he says when it comes to things like the problem of evil, a balconeer might, might ask a theoretical question about, about the nature of evil anyway. And, and how does the love of God actually fit with the fact that there is evil in the world? But, but a traveler, he says, asks, how do I master evil and bring good out of it? He says about sin that a balconeer might ask, like, is there even such a thing as depravity? Or are we born kind of morally neutral? Is there something going on in our hearts that actually distances us from God as a theoretical question? But a traveler knows the darkness of his own heart, the sin from within, and asks, is there hope for deliverance? Even when it comes to things like the Trinity, the balconeer asks about the formula of three and one, and how does that math work out? And a traveler asks, how can I know this God who gave himself up for me so that I might be in relationship with the Father through the Spirit? So I want you to ask this morning about the resurrection, not as one who stands outside of it analyzing it, but as somebody who's on a road asking for help, who's experiencing this life and needs needs hope. Because the way the Bible talks about the resurrection throughout its whole Old and New Testament is giving us hope for the daily struggles of shame and fear, and sadness, and anxiety. 
for the injustices that we face, for the places where where you just feel undone, that's the spot where the resurrection gets applied to God's people. So it's not this thing that we look out over and analyze, although there's there's a a need to understand the depths of it. But but more this morning, what I want to do is invite you to actually experience it. Easter is meant to be good news. It's meant to put a smile on your face. It's meant to give you great, great joy. So let me just kind of give you a quick kind of overview of the way the resurrection is talked about in the Bible. The same one who wrote this sermon, Peter, has a letter later in the New Testament. And he says that the resurrection provides a living hope. A hope that isn't just in our heads. It's something that is pressed out into our lives. And he makes application to suffering. He says this hope actually helps us endure suffering. The resurrection gets applied and shows the truthfulness of God, that God validates his promises in the resurrection of his son, Jesus, saying he's the one who actually made promises to deliver and he kept them. The resurrection shows us the love of God. As we stand in front of the cross in this event on Good Friday and we think about all that Jesus went through to bear the weight of the sin upon himself, it's this act of beautiful love. But it's not just beautiful, it's also Powerful. The resurrection says that his sacrifice is able to be applied to us all because it's God himself who died in our place. The resurrection tells us that we're delighted in, that we're accepted, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It shows the power of God where we doubt his love. In Romans chapter 8, we see just a tie to the resurrection power of Jesus to the spaces where we wonder if anything can come against us and separate us from God. The resurrection secures our futures to the places where you're facing death and you're facing the end of your life. The resurrection of Jesus is the first fruits of your own resurrection. There's hope for the next life because of the resurrection. There's also lots of passages that give followers of Jesus hope for their loved ones who've gone before who were in Christ. The resurrection is hope for widowers and widows and siblings and parents and friends who who've lost somebody, even, even this year. Let Easter hit you with a new kind of hope. Because of the resurrection of Christ, the Scriptures make an explicit promise to you about the resurrection and reunion with your loved ones who are in Jesus. There's, there's hope for the next life. There, there's hope that actually we can defeat sin and death because Christ conquered it on the cross, which is an application to our own transformation, where you feel like stuck and overwhelmed where you feel like you're going to keep making the same mistakes, you're kind of stuck in this loop. The resurrection gives you hope that because Christ defeated sin and death on the cross, there's a chance for you to change, and not just a far-out chance. There's a promise that the resurrection power of Jesus is applicable to your own transformation. Acts 17 says the resurrection proves to us that Jesus is the rightful judge of the world. He stands over the universe as the one who has the right and the power to judge it. And we see the resurrection reminding us that we worship a living God. Christianity is not about ideas or concepts or teachings or laws. It's about a person, a a living person. And so to talk about Jesus raising bodily, even the way this text stresses kind of the idea that they ate and they drank together to say this is like a, a real person with a real body that we really interacted with. We had fellowship with God himself. So it says to us about who God is as a living God that you can actually No. And that is a ton of really, really, really good news that the resurrection 
provides for us. And I think there are spaces in your life where they're maybe more intense or less intense where you'll sense the need for some of those promises. And they're always available to you. And then there's this underlying foundation that the resurrection simply is the message of Christianity. Beyond these specific promises, what this text helps us see is that the resurrection is the centerpiece of our very faith, which means it's applicable to your Monday and your Tuesday and your Friday and your Saturday, not just your Sunday worship. It means that we can experience kind of this love and this joy and this freedom from condemnation and this hope not just on special days like this, but when you feel alone when you're by yourself. Kids, this means like the joy that you felt this morning, maybe you're putting on a different kind of clothes, you're getting ready for some things with family, you've got some maybe candy that's in front of you, the joy and excitement of being in the big church this morning, which I know you're super excited about, that actually, that joy you can have all the time. The fact that the resurrection is kind of a mundane, even though mysterious and beautiful and profound, it's the common center of the Christian message means you have access to it all the time. So when you feel undone, when you feel overwhelmed, when you're full of regret, when you you feel trapped, when you feel shame, when you feel wronged, there's resurrection power for that that place. So what I want to do with this text is just kind of show you that. In fact, this sermon from Peter that I'm going to plagiarize this morning and just kind of walk through is pretty common in the scriptures. There's a, a formula or a pattern that Peter follows, kind of giving just these data points of the Christian faith. So when he's given a chance to speak to Cornelius and to this crowd that we see in the context of Acts chapter 10, what we see is him going just to the baseline, to what's simple, to what's foundational, which there's something really, really instructive of that for us. And so as we walk through this, I want you to ask, what difference does the resurrection make? And so I want to kind of give us some questions. I want us to ask, like, who the resurrection is for, what is accomplished in the resurrection, And then what should you do about the resurrection? We'll just let those questions kind of walk us through this text. So look with me in verse 34 of Acts chapter 10. So Peter opened up his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now let me give you a little bit of context to help that make sense. I think you can understand kind of on the surface what that means, but if you drop back into chapter 10, you'll see something really beautiful. The author of Acts has been laboring to make a comparison between two men. Peter, who was one of the early disciples of Jesus, this one that we actually read who denied Christ, but he also was given kind of a special role in the church as a leader and a disciple. We have Peter on one side and we have Cornelius on the other side. And the author of Acts labors to help us make the comparison by saying things like, both of them are found praying. Both of them have these visions. Both of them are travelers. Cornelius represents for us a Gentile, somebody who didn't grow up in the faith, somebody who didn't grow up around the things of God. So he's not a Jew by birth. He's actually a Roman centurion, right? So he's pretty far away from the center of the Jewish religion. And what we see in this passage is that Cornelius is seeking after God. Even this phrase here that that anyone who fears God and does what is right is a reference to what Cornelius was doing. The text just says Cornelius feared God and he gave alms and and he prayed. So he's, he's seeking after God. Now, the text doesn't say that because of his sincerity, he's right with God. In fact, we'll see in verse 43 that it's only through believing in Jesus that you actually have your sins forgiven. It's not our sincerity that saves us. It's what Christ has done in our faith in that. 
And in chapter 11, it'll be really explicit where Peter's retelling this account. And he says, and God sent me to preach a message by which Cornelius might be saved. So it's the believing and hearing of the resurrection that saves him. But his sincerity is a really good thing. I wanted to say your sincerity is a good thing. Your desire, your questions, the way that you're trying to kind of engage God. Maybe you just can't escape the idea that there must be more than we can see and touch in this life. Like that actually is affirmed in the scriptures as a really good thing. It's not an ultimate thing where just seeking and asking questions is is where you want to stay. But it's a great impulse of your heart to say there's got to be more. And maybe even try to talk to God and try to ask what he would want you to do. Like Cornelius represents one who is seeking, but he's on the outside. He didn't grow up in church. He didn't grow up around the things of God. And maybe he's interacted with first century believers. And maybe as a centurion, maybe he knows the guy who was standing there at the cross that Matthew tells us about when the resurrection or the death of Jesus actually happens. And there's this massive earthquake and darkness comes. And the centurion there just says, man, I've done thousands of these crucifixions. This one is different. This man must be the son of God. So you have a testimony of a Roman centurion giving validation to the deity of Jesus. And maybe Cornelius knew that guy. So he's heard the stories and he's asking for help to understand. That's one side. The other side is Peter, who's also a traveler. Now, Peter's a leader in the early church. He's written several books in the New Testament You watch him actually have courageous faith in some moments, but he also struggles, which I find a ton of encouragement with. Peter is an example for us of a guy who is also sincere, but makes a ton of mistakes. Even in the Good Friday narrative that we read, he's the one who's kind of singled out where Jesus says, hey, you're going to deny me three times. And when you hear Peter and three, you think about that moment. So actually, when first uh, in in Acts 10, where it says that Cornelius has his vision, then Peter has his vision. Three times Peter sees the same vision, and it's not by mistake. We're supposed to connect the dots of God working with Peter in versions of three. Peter's vision is of this sheet that drops down with unclean and unclean animals on it, and God says to go and eat those animals, and Peter says no. See, when you see Peter saying no to God, that's pretty familiar for us. There are moments where Jesus would say, I'm going to actually go all the way to the cross and die. And Peter says, no. And Jesus has to rebuke him. He even says, get behind me, Satan, which is a pretty strong rebuke. In the upper room, as he's talking about his denial and betrayal, Jesus says, all of you will deny me. And Peter says, no, I will never deny you. So even in this moment in Acts chapter 10, where Peter says, no, I won't do what you're asking me to do. It's familiar for us to think about the struggle that Peter has to hear the voice of God and follow. And the great news is, as a struggler, he always comes back around. So even having him deny Jesus, part of this threefold pattern here is for us to see him back in the relationship. And John, the very end of his gospel, we'll see three times Jesus saying to Peter, "Do, do you love me? As a way of reinstating Peter as welcoming Peter back. But just zoom out a second. What Peter is wrestling with is how to apply the good news of the gospel to people that are different, how to hear the voice of God. And he's one who struggles even in his denial and betrayal. And so we should just stop and see that as an invitation for us to be honest about our own betrayal and denial. Like Easter gives you hope for the places of your inconsistency. Easter gives you hope for the places where you've known what God wants you to do and you've not done it. Easter gives you hope for the places where where you knew what he didn't want you to do and you did it anyway. In that space, Peter provides a traveler's perspective for us of a struggler who does believe. So he would represent, for those of you who like, grew up around the things of God, 
you actually have saving faith, and yet there are places in your life that don't quite match what God wants for you to do. So in that space, when, when Peter says that God shows no partiality, from the context we're hearing, he's welcoming everybody, those who have been on the outside and those who were kind of in relationship because of the community and felt like they were on the inside. There's no partiality. Both of them are welcome. And your struggle does not knock you out of relationship with God. The places where you feel inconsistent, there's, there's no partiality, right? Your past, your shame, your regrets, your fears, those things don't separate. So who's the resurrection for? Look at the next verse. It's for everyone. No partiality. Verse 36, in every nation, anyone can come. Drop down to verse 43, and he says, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. The gospel is the good news for everybody, whether you find yourself on the outside or the inside. And there's a special word on a day like this for those of you who, who were born in a family that went to church and kind of church is part of your tradition, where you actually have an experience of knowing the stories about God. But here in that space, too, kind of a, a twist on this partiality, God doesn't favor you because of the family you were born in. You still have to place faith in Jesus. That There's no partiality. Those born on the outside, those in families that knew who God was, but all of them are welcome. They just all have to come through Jesus. So the resurrection is for everyone. And that might just feel really mundane to you, but this would have been revolutionary to Peter in this day. And as he's starting his simple gospel message, he just stops and says, before I go into what's normal about the good news, I want you to hear this beautiful idea that everyone is welcome. There's no partiality. So attach your shame, your regret, your fear, your anxiety your questions, your doubting, attach it to that and find yourself in this text as a traveler. If Cornelius and Peter can come, then, then you can come. Who's resurrection for? It's for everyone. Now, now let's talk about what the resurrection accomplishes. So look with me in verse 36. He says, As for the word that was sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. We'll just stop here for a second. The gospel is a message of peace. At the very foundation, it's a reconciliation that God makes for us to come to him to have our sins forgiven. The message that's proclaimed about Jesus is that we can have peace, that travelers can have peace. Regardless of your background, because of your trust in Christ, he says there's peace through Jesus, not through just seeking or through sincerity, but through faith in Jesus. You can actually have what feels unsettled and undone in your heart at rest with God himself. So so the gospel message is about peace. And what's going to happen is he's going to follow through a very familiar pattern, a pattern that we see all throughout this New Testament as these early followers of Jesus preach this message. He's going to talk about the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the appearing of Jesus. So this this is the mundane pattern. This is the regular gospel message for regular Life. He says there's peace that comes through Jesus. Verse 37, you yourselves know what happened. Let me just remind you, you already know this. Let me tell you this story. Through all Judea, beginning with Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of this, of all that he had done, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So it starts with the life of Jesus, which we're studying in the book of Matthew. 
We're watching the works and the words of Jesus. He just says, hey, you know what he taught. You know what he did. There's a part of the way Christ lived his life that's essential to the gospel story to say as, as one who came into our humanity and lived a perfect life, he's able to actually die a sacrificial death on our behalf. And then verse 40, he, or verse 38, and we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem, but they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to those who had been chosen by, by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He says there's this death that happened that you've kind of borne witness of, you've heard about, and then we, we've seen him bodily raised. And that resurrection actually validates his teaching and his works. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. And so was he just a maniac and a lunatic or was there something actually powerful about him? And his resurrection is the validation that he was able to deliver on all the promises that he made. So, so he rose from the dead, verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. This resurrection, again, in the other place in the scriptures, say, say there's validation for Jesus to be the judge of all the world. Because he stood in our place as the one who bore the weight of our sin. What's profound about this is the judge of the universe took your judgment upon himself so you could be forgiven and free. Hey, the Easter story is about freedom. It's about forgiveness. It's about peace. It's about your shame being lifted. It's about what you regret and what you're haunted by being paid for by another. And it's not just some other sacrificial person. It's the very God of the universe who has the power to stand over all of the universe as the judge who stood in your place and bore the penalty for your sin upon himself. And he says to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so he says there's two kinds of validation. One of these eyewitnesses, we, we saw him, we ate with him, we, we fellowshiped with him, we saw him drink, we, we interacted with him, we know he's alive, we saw him. And we heard about this in the scriptures. This was prophesied about. We were anticipating and expecting a Messiah to come. And there's promises that he would actually bear the weight for our sins. So it's both attested to by eyewitnesses and it's affirmed in the scriptures, he's saying. There's reason to trust its reliability by eyewitnesses and what was prophesied about hundreds and sometimes thousands of years before the birth of Christ. This pattern we see all over the scriptures. And again, it's it's a simple pattern, but it says to us really clearly what Christ accomplished for us. So, so for those of you who don't know Jesus, hear, hear this. This is the Christian message that God came into the world, took on human form, lived the life that you should have lived, died a sacrificial death in your place to bear the weight for all of your sin, all the stuff about you that you know is not the way it's supposed to be, all the stuff you wonder what to do with, all the things that break your relationships, the things that haunt you. The scriptures say God put all the weight of that on his own back, all the judgment that you deserve, and he paid the penalty for it. And he wasn't just a nice guy doing a good deed. He powerfully rose from the grave to show that he was God himself, that that is the message. And for Christians, this message comes to you as this sweet reassurance, as a comfort and as a reminder, as a joyful encouragement for the places where you're still struggling because you still have shame you still have regrets 
You still have fears. You still have things you're wrestling with, just like Peter did. And as a traveler on this road, to hear the good news of what Christ did in the resurrection actually sets you free. So Easter is about peace. It's about freedom. It's about the good news. And what they long for, we see Christ accomplished. And so there's comfort in this, but there's also a warning. I mean, it says that it's only those who believe and receive Jesus that have their sins forgiven. That's the point of verse 43. So, so who's it for? It's for everybody. What did it accomplish? It accomplished salvation for you. What should you do about the resurrection? It's simply to believe and receive for the forgiveness of sins. And here's the warning. If you don't trust Jesus to be the one who bore the weight for your sins, the scriptures say you bear the weight yourself. So there's comfort for those who do believe, and there's a warning, and I believe every warning in the scripture is an invitation. There's a warning that you'll have to bear the weight yourself, so trust Jesus. He invites you to come to be forgiven, to be welcomed, to be, to be set free. And the one who is actually inviting you is the very judge that you'll stand before, either allowing him to pay the penalty for your sin and celebrating his sacrifice, or standing under his just judgment on that day. So Easter actually kind of puts a fork in the road for you. It makes you decide about what you'll do with Jesus. And there, there's an invitation then to actually trust. And it says that if you'll trust him, he will forgive you. Now, I think all of us would agree, like, forgiveness is a beautiful, amazing thing. Like, I think there's places where you long to be forgiven by people, where you long to actually hear somebody um, ask for your forgiveness. I mean, doctors and neurologists would tell us something happens biochemically inside of us when we're face-to-face with somebody and we, we hear the words, I forgive you, and that relationship is restored. Like, it's a beautiful, powerful thing. But it's also kind of complicated in this fallen and broken world. And lots of us have experiences with forgiveness that, that don't feel that solid. So maybe you've heard somebody say something like, well, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. And you're like, I don't know if that feels like forgiveness. Or, or, or they'll... They'll say things like, you know, I know I've been forgiven, but I just can't forgive myself. There's places where we struggle, or maybe someone even says the words, I forgive you, but their face and body language and all their behavior actually doesn't actually show that. Or they're asking your forgiveness, but you, you just sense they're not actually sincere. They're just doing the mechanistic thing to get through the, the jam or the situation that they're in. I think we have an issue with forgiveness kind of horizontally with each other, which shapes for us how we might think about the forgiveness of God. I wonder if you struggle with shame and fear and condemnation because you wonder if Jesus forgives the way we normally forgive. Here's what's beautiful about Easter Sunday. It reminds us that the one who promises forgiveness for us is the very God of the universe who already died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin. He already rose from the grave powerfully showing he has the power to forgive you and he invites you then to respond and receive. So it's not a fragile thing that you're, you're banking on or hoping on or betting on. It's something that's historically secure for you. Something that's solid for you. So, so when Peter says this is the one that if you will believe in him, you receive forgiveness of your sins through his name. It's something that you can actually trust in. The forgiveness that's offered in the message of Easter is one that's for this life and for the next. So what do you do? I would call all of you to believe. For Christians who already trust Christ, that looks like celebrating what he's done for you. Taking a deep breath where you feel overwhelmed with shame and regret and struggle and remembering that Christ died for that very thing. Easter should be a celebration for you. 
Not where you take sin lightly, but where you recognize that Christ took it so serious, he already paid for it, so you don't have to. So, so believe Christians. And for those of you who are not yet followers of Christ, I'm so thankful that you're in the room or that you're watching or that you're, that you're listening. Even the way Cornelius was like wrestling with his faith and seeking and interested, I, I would understand you being here, even if your friend invited you or your, your family made you come, whatever it is that got you in the room. There's something about your heart that's asking questions. The invitation for you this morning is to believe as well. And remember, there's no partiality. You don't have to clean it up. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to get it better. You can actually just come. You can simply believe. To believe in Jesus is to trust the story of his death, burial, and resurrection as a thing that accomplished your salvation. And if that's where you're at this morning, I would invite you to trust him and would love to talk with you after the service about that. We'll take communion as a way to kind of celebrate and remember together to let our hearts be drawn to this sacrifice of Christ. And so Christians, I'd invite you to come. We would take communion as we take a piece of the bread off and we dip in the cup. There'll be service here in the front. There's the gluten free over here to my right, your left, and some small kind of individual packets if that's more comfortable for you. There's also communion down in the fellowship hall if you want to take it there. Those of you who are not followers of Jesus, I'd invite you to stay in your seat and pray. Ask God to seek kind of your heart and communicate to you and confirm in you what is actually true. There's some prayers in the back of your bulletin that will give you some examples of what that might sound like for you to pray. But stay in your seat if you're not a follower of Jesus, unless you're ready to trust Christ. If that's you today, then, then come. And I mean, I'd love for you to take communion this morning, and then let's talk about what it means to follow Jesus after the service. Let me pray for us, and then we'll take communion and celebrate. Jesus, we love you. We trust you. We ask for your help now in this moment. Would you speak to us the power of your resurrection over the specific mundane places of our lives where we feel discouragement, where we feel overwhelmed? Would you cause us to celebrate and have joy remembering the peace that you offer us for the forgiveness of sins? And would you call those to yourself who don't yet know you? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, when you're ready, come take communion. Mm-hmm.